three people. One podcast. In a world full of terrible Syria commentary. Many opinions. Many views. Many were slandered as Assadists. But these setbacks were not enough to stop them. The Syria A-Team, Part Deer. Oh, this new crazy mother... Welcome, everybody, to this week's installment of the Dead Pundit Society. I'm your host, Adam Proctor. I hope you enjoyed that little theatrical trailer. I'm doing something extra special for this week's episode. We're breaking it up into three parts. Uh, you're listening to part two. We're going to continue on with my interview with Rania Kalik and Ben Norton. I got some really excellent feedback from part one. I know you all are going to enjoy part two just as much. So stay tuned. We've got some more history and context of the Syria conflict and the Middle East region. But just really quickly, if you can, if you like our first part and you liked the trailer, feel free to donate. I've got a Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com backslash deadpundits. And without further ado, here is part D. Okay. Do you want to play what? Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're going to pick up where we left off on part one. And Rania is going to tell you a little bit about the connections between Saudi Arabia and ISIS and Arar al-Sham. Here we are. Rania Kalik, everybody. Enjoy. One thing, other thing that's been... Noted, especially if you ever watch any of the Vice documentaries from ISIS territory, um, which is crazy enough, they they like have were able to get some uh, footage out of there. A lot of the people who are administrators in these areas are Saudi, and the same goes with um, Al Qaeda's leadership in the region. A lot of them are Saudi. The uh, in Idlib and, and and Ben and Max Blumenthal recently wrote about this in a really excellent article um, in the lead up to Trump's strike in in um, on the Syrian army. Uh, in Idlib, the uh, n- the inspiration, the spiritual guide, if you will, the 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 cleric who uh, guides like the uh, extremist groups in that area is this guy who um, Muhaysini, who is a Saudi-born and educated uh, religious cleric who basically like incites to violence against minorities and all that you know typical crap like we want an Islamic state and recruits in refugee camps and it's really messed up. But the point is, is it cannot be emphasized enough the the fact that this is because um, I think a lot of people look at places like Syria and Lebanon and even Palestine and they think, oh, like that's just they just have a bunch of crazies in them. And it's like, no, these are places with deep like cultural histories that have been around for a long time. Some of the oldest places on Earth, you know, in, in the case of Iraq, the cradle of civilization. 
And this is not natural. This is like being pushed onto these areas violently. Al-Qaeda is not popular. It's not. It's just a, the matter of they have pow powerful interests backing them in some places. And so they're in, able to impose their will in a very violent fashion. And the U.S. has played a massive role in making that possible. And so, you know, when I look at like for someone from my perspective, I'm just looking at like the fact that my government here is has been helping Al-Qaeda destroy a, the region of the world I come from. And people don't want that. People don't want to live under an Islamic state. Maybe some people do, but not all of them. And I don't understand why people on the left are sympathizing and being on the side of the reactionaries instead of, instead of backing the people who should be their traditional allies, which are leftists, other leftists in the region. We also have a lot of documentation now, thanks to WikiLeaks and, and other sources, uh, showing that the U.S. government has known that its allies has supported these extremists uh, for years. So in 2009, a cable released by WikiLeaks that was actually signed by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton acknowledged that Saudi Arabia was the largest supporter of, of Sunni extremist groups and, you know, these Salafi groups like al-Qaeda in the world. It names the Taliban and al-Qaeda as primary uh, groups that are being sponsored by rich donors inside Saudi Arabia. And we also now know, thanks to um, an intelligence uh, memo that was leaked by WikiLeaks as well, uh, this was actually leaked last year during the uh, presidential campaign, in which uh, uh, it was sent by uh, Hillary Clinton to her then, uh, the head of her campaign, um, when she was campaigning for president, um, Podesta. And in this memo, which was probably written by Sidney Blumenthal or someone in, in the State Department, um, it acknowledges, citing U.S. intelligence, that Saudi Arabia and Qatar had been supporting ISIS. So we, we have documentation from the U.S. government, from the, you know, the horse's own mouth, um, admitting explicitly that our own allies have supported these extremist groups. Yeah, like it's not by accident, though. You know, I want to add to that, though, is I really do. I don't. They, they used to do this shit during Afghanistan, too. They would be like, we're we're not the ones who are deciding which groups get it. The Pakistani I, like intelligence are deciding well, and they're the ones who are fucking up. It's like the reality is, is this is always the way that the U.S. the U.S. administrations wash their hands. They know that their allies are supporting ISIS. They don't care. You heard John Kerry say it in leaked audio with the um, representatives from the uh, the, the Syrian um, opposition, like in exile, telling, um, telling them, yeah, we watched ISIS grow and we were hoping that it would force Assad to the negotiating table, but it didn't work because then Russia got involved because they were afraid ISIS would take Damascus. So... This is, they used to say this stuff during the 80, in the 80s in Afghanistan. They would say, oh, well, we didn't know they were giving money to Hekmatier, like the most vile and disgusting piece of shit Mujahideen guy imaginable who like used to throw acid in women's faces for being unveiled. We didn't know that's who the ISI was giving it to. Yes, you did. You were fully aware and you were fine with it because at the end of the day, they don't care. They don't care if ISIS controls some areas because they think it can be contained. It's a really stupid policy. And at the end of the day, it's become a it's become like a profitable policy because and on the one hand, you know, you support these Salafi jihadist groups to to, um, you know, as like kind of mercenaries against your adversaries. 
And then eventually these Salafi jihadist groups become your enemy. And so it's a great business model for perpetual war because then 10, you know, now, you know, for eight years um, or for like six years, Obama was supporting Salafi jihadist groups, although he was somewhat restrained about it compared to other people and what they wanted to do. But he was supporting them in Syria, supported them in Libya. And the enemy was these, you know, these regimes. And that's the, you know, that's the, the, you justify war that way. Now Trump's in charge. And now the enemy is once again ISIS and Al Qaeda. And so now you have this perpetual warfare situation where. It's like whack a mole, right? It is. You, it's whack a mole. You hit one and another one pops yeah, up. Yeah, because you're fucking else, funding you've been, them. You've like, been fostering, but Trump, you've been fostering Trump is still, this stuff all along. Trump is still siding with Al Qaeda and Yemen. And this is an yeah. issue that is even less discussed. And it's just as scandalous as Syria. Yemen, just to make it really short here, but in Yemen, the U.S. has helped create the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. The U.N. has repeatedly reported that it's the worst. Uh, Millions of people are on the brink of famine. 17 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance. We're talking about the worst crisis in the planet thanks to two years of U.S.-backed Saudi bombing. Saudi Arabia has been using planes sold by the U.S. and the U.K., bombs sold by the U.S. and the U.K., using millions and millions of pounds of fuel that had been provided by the u.s the u.s is refueling these planes and like ronnie has said the u.s outsources its dirty work so it can say its hands are clean so it it says oh saudi arabia is committing war crimes without saying that oh yeah we're literally putting the the fuel in in the planes that we built with our bombs that they're dropping but uh, but an al-qaeda in 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 yemen is actually the most extreme branch of al-qaeda it's called aqap al-qaeda in the arabian peninsula And we have documentation from multiple sources that Al-Qaeda has been fighting alongside the Saudi-led U.S.-backed coalition in the south of the country against Houthi rebels. Uh, So, for instance, uh, I mentioned Saf al-Ahmad earlier, the Saudi journalist who's done amazing work. She actually smuggled into Yemen and she filmed uh, when she was... uh, you know, being embedded with U.S.-backed Saudi-led forces in the coalition, she filmed them, um, Emirati forces, fighting side-by-side with Al-Qaeda against the Houthis. And then also we now know, for instance, the U.N. panel of experts released a report in, in January, which they acknowledged the same thing. And the Wall Street Journal published an article talking about how in Aden, the major, the second most important city in, in Yemen in the south, that that was retaken by the U.S.-led or the U.S.-backed Saudi-led coalition. Um, the Wall Street Journal ran an article, and the headline acknowledges that Al Qaeda was fighting alongside U.S.-backed Saudi-led coalition forces. So it's not just in Syria. The U.S. is Al is openly allied with al-Qaeda in Syria, even though it doesn't say it. I mean, it's very clear from its policy. But in Yemen, it's a very similar policy. And the U.S. is now carrying out airstrikes against al-Qaeda. But it's been supporting indirectly al-Qaeda for two years now. Wow. So al-Qaeda is kind of this ready-made shock troop squadron for the Saudi uh, Hey, you guys policy. remember you guys remember 9-11? Like, I feel like everyone forgot that happened. Yeah, there, there was this <laughs> like thing. I, th- I thought that was thing. like a big deal. Maybe, maybe it's it just me. It happened on September 11th. It happened, and we call it 9/11 now. Uh, for those who uh, aren't aren't familiar, yeah, with like it. and yeah, like Al Qaeda took credit for it. I don't know. I thought that was sort of like if you're gonna have a relationship with someone, I feel like. Like, I feel like driving, you know, planes, flying planes into towers and killing 3,000 people would maybe put a damper on that for for a while, at least. (laughs) 
but so we've blown this thing wide open. I could I could honestly talk with you both about this for hours and hours. But but there was this other thing that happened too just the other day, uh, which was kind of terrifying, and I want to get to it. And that is uh, for the first time in a very long conflict with the you know many many megatons of bombs being dropped. There was a sea change, right? There was this sort of qualitative shift where, uh, for the first time, we uh, sent missiles uh, to uh, a Syrian airbase. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's the backstory there? A lot of people come at me and they say, well, bro, we've been dropping bombs on Syria for a long time. Where have you been, dog? Like that kind of thing. Like, well, first of all, we've been talking. Like, I don't know. Where have I been? I've been denouncing it. That's where I've been. I know that's where you are. Where have you been, Rania? Where have you been? <laughs> I'm sure you guys have been silent on it, judging by your Twitter, where you've been obsessively <laughs> posting about it. Never, sto- never stop posting. Never stop. For like, yes, for like never years. Stop. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting that um, what happened this week, I mean, what happened before this recent attack on the Syrian air base the other day that Trump launched is there was this claim that there was a chemical weapons attack launched by the Syrian army uh, against uh, this chemical weapons. That means the victims are more dead than other. dead. Yeah, people, yeah. Right? No, chemical weapons. Basically, They're like more dead yeah. than the dead kids that we kill in Yemen. Right. Well, no, totally, totally. Like it's I, mean, I think when 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 people get killed by chemical weapons, they turn into white walkers after they're dead. So they're like dead. I'm maybe sorry, that's why. Be, no, maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not so sure. We should joke about that. We shouldn't be. No, but, no, but, 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 but the see, point you're the making is though. we're not the ones we're not the one who are who are sort of making this a cynical, you know, ploy. Like I'm just playing on the the logic that they're presenting to well, us, of course right? or, no which like, is that wait, chemical weapons are somehow uniquely evil because like you know sure. the, the thing is is syria obviously like the you know the, that that the syrian government and the russians and the u.s and has been you know bombing syria and people are dying from those bombs too yeah, um, nobody cares nobody cares those victims well they, they, they care so much they, they only white phosphorus care in gaza yeah that, that really doesn't matter because israel like shut up ben don't don't talk about israel like that that's okay <laughs> Okay, I don't know why white it's okay. I don't. I can't tell you why it's okay. Know, for <laughs> those who don't okay. know, white phosphorus is. A, I mean, it's a war crime to use it as a weapon. It's, it's, it's not banned. supposed to be used as a weapon. But if it gets on your body, it will burn through to the bone and cannot be put out with water. Yeah, it sounds like it's like really vicious. And Israel's used it multiple times on in Gaza, and no, no, no one cared. Well, we cared. Yeah, but so I the mean, question here, the reason why, the, so the reason why I'm not some heartless bastard. Let's back up here because Ben's right. I mean, the reason why I'm I'm, I'm bringing light to this, uh, you know, this chemical attack sort of thing is like not because you know all all casualties of war, all deaths are mournable, which is why hey, which is why we're fucking anti-war here on exactly. the Dead Planet Society, and we want an immediate cessation to all hostilities. And we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but anyway, let me calm down for a minute. Let well, me, speak me, for yourself. Let me get my, I am. Let me get I am. My speak NPR for yourself. Terry Gross voice. I have to get my Terry yeah. uh, Gross voice. Let's so Ronya Kalik. What brings you to the show today? <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, the chemical attack sort of rhetoric is would indicate that some victims are worthy of our tears, whereas other victims are not, and that's just fucked up. I, right? But I think more importantly, with this whole chemical attack situation, what I found stunning this week is this: within hours, actually, like within less than hours, you had everybody, be, you know, this like domino effect of people, leaders around the world, saying the Assad regime did this, the Assad regime did that. Like, we don't know what happened. We don't. All we have is the images and like videos that are being aired to the world by the opposition. 
by the insurgency. Including a doctor. There was a British doctor who was arrested in 2012. I wrote an article about this. His name yes, is yes, Shahjul Islam. His, he, he's been in, in Idlib, in Al-Qaeda-held territory, uh, ostensibly treating people. And he tweeted all this stuff about the attack. And he was one of the primary sources that Western media outlets used. I mean, I wrote an article detailing the dozens of outlets that quoted him. Um, when in reality, this guy in 2012 was arrested in Heathrow Airport in the UK and charged with kidnapping journalists uh, as a member of an extremist group inside Syria where he had just come back from. And the only reason that the case against him was dropped was because the two journalists, the, there was a British that journalist. That named him, Dutch by the way. The two journalists that named him. Like that, that said, named him like, specifically. Yeah. And they char- they said he he participated in this group that kidnapped us and held us hostage. The reason the case against this guy was dropped was because one of the journalists had he had been briefly freed and then was kidnapped again by ISIS. So he was not able to testify in court. And then the other guy, the Dutch guy, was not able to testify in court either. So then they had to just drop the, the case. And this is one of the primary sources Western media outlets are citing for the chemical. Yeah, and he's like, I mean, he's like a doctor, supposedly like this doctor treating civilians. Here's my thing is... There's just so many holes in this narrative. And one of the biggest ones, I think, too, is this. The Syrian government is violent. Yes, they are not stupid. And for them, assuming they are stupid, that would mean that they secretly kept sarin gas after the international community collaborated with them to get rid of all of their chemical weapons. They secretly kept some sarin gas and then decided to use it very suddenly on the eve of international peace talks on an insignificant village in Idlib, a vill- like an area that literally they would gain no military, um, they would gain nothing militarily to attack. Like it's a village that's basically controlled mostly by a Hararul Sham and serves no strategic military purpose whatsoever. So it just doesn't make sense to me. And they know the repercussions of using chemical weapons. Um, you know, they saw what happened in 2013 when it's still, by the way, very questionable whether they did or not. Um, you know, just seeing that the idea that the Syrian government would be that stupid makes no sense. Assuming they were that stupid, which I don't think they were. Uh, the next thing becomes the images that you saw. I mean, some of these, uh, some of these like images. I mean, th- this is just goes to the the entire issue of Syria has just been manipulation of people's emotions. It's a it's a PR. Ca- it's just a one big PR campaign. Let's talk. Ab- let's talk about that video. Remember, we, there was a there was a father. It was this, this gut wrenching image of a father holding his dead uh, toddlers. Uh, in the in the uh, you know passenger's seat of uh, of of a car or something like that, taking them to go bury them. I mean, this is tragic. These are dead kids. Nobody likes to see this stuff. One of the things I don't know though. I mean, look. Okay, look. We're gonna play conspiracy for just one quick second. We're gonna get back to reality. I, I read up on sarin gas, and sarin gas is stored on it it, it. it it it's deposited on clothes, and when you touch the clothes, it sort of it sort of is reconstituted back into the air, and it and it, it can be toxic, right, to people who are exposed to it. And so I'm seeing all these people with ungloved hands, with these little shitty flimsy masks on their face, going into this place that was just allegedly bombed with sarin gas. It, I, I mean, I'm not an expert, I don't know, but to me, like this stuff doesn't add up. This looks to me like. When uh, the the white helmets were called out for doing the mannequin challenge, right? Which Rebel Media posted on their YouTube account, and then as soon as it was called out, they took it off of their YouTube channel. 
<laughs> right. So the white helmets, remember when the mannequin challenge for the listeners, the mannequin challenge was going around, you're supposed to do regular day things and then freeze. And then somebody walks around with a camera. You look like mannequins just standing there like idiots. Well, the white helmets did this and they were pretending to, to sort of like uncover this quote unquote victim that was buried under this, after this fake bombing. And it's like, Oh, it looked realistic. That's funny. You're looking. You're doing this mannequin challenge, but this looks exactly like all the other videos that you, that do. you do. Yeah, that's what was so hmm. wild. It's like they, people hmm. already suspect that they stage stuff, and they just literally show that they can stage stuff. I mean, it looked well, identical. Well, here, if I can interject for a second, I mean, you know, we shouldn't. It's possible that you know, who knows that some of these may have not been. They may have been exaggerated. Who knows? But at the same time, I don't. We shouldn't underestimate yes, yes. i mean there's yes. no question that many civilians have been killed by both sides in this Absolutely. conflict this is why we're anti-war again the syrian government has bombed civilian areas in order to fight these rebels who are embedded in civilian areas and has killed many civilians and i don't want to downplay that however yes. extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence Absolutely. and it's one thing yes. to say and it's true that the syrian government has unleashed very brutal bombing campaigns that have killed many civilians and that is not you know that is horrific and i'm i'm not defending that any day of the year um however that's very different it's categorically different from saying that they intentionally used chemical weapons on, on this population and right now they're what they're i mean let's we need extraordinary evidence for extraordinary claims so far there has actually been no evidence that's been presented the only sources people are citing are rebels on the ground who have a vested interest and in, they've been trying to topple the syrian government and the uh so-called Sy- syrian observatory for human rights which which, I mean, in terms of the media coverage, like Radia mentioned, this has been, uh, you know, abominable for years. But actually, one of the sh- most shocking things about all this coverage is the fact that all mainstream media outlets, including Associated Press, The New York Times, etc., have as their primary resource been citing a guy in his home in England who has not been to Syria in more than a decade there's this group that's it's supposedly called a monitoring group. That's what everyone they always say a British monitoring group called the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. It's literally one guy in his home in England who calls this contacts he has in Syria, and yeah. they are their site. Every news outlet cites this guy. So, all right, let's let's look at international. And he's bodies. also just to point out, this guy is openly pro opposition, pro rebel. If you go openly. to the website, there's a rebel flag at the top of the website. But I mean, so. That aside, let's look at international bodies. All right, the UN has not apportioned blame. They're investigating it. The Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the OPCW, has released two statements thus far acknowledging that they're investigating the incident but not apportioning blame. And actually, it's not in the mandate of the OPCW to apportion blame. Uh, The UN has looked into past attacks, and they often did not apportion blame. And as Rania said, in the 2013 attack in Ghouta, um, a sarin gas attack, uh, you know, it was immediately blamed on the Syrian government. The U.S. was about to actually invade and overthrow the Syrian government um, using this as a pretense. However, we now know, thanks to Seymour Hersh, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who, uh, you know, has has made many scoops on Abu Ghraib and all these other stories. Well, as soon as he started writing about Syria, he was completely condemned and written off as a conspiracy theorist, Just even though these same really people disgusting. will cite his other reports. And he has shown citing U.S.
U.S. intelligence, including the DIA, that the U.S. knew that Jabhat al-Nusra, Syrian al-Qaeda, had access to sarin gas. In fact, a dozen members of Jabhat al-Nusra had actually been arrested inside Turkey. And uh, according to Seymour Hersh's sources, who were U.S. intelligence officials, um, intelligence officials, they acknowledged that uh, actually it might have been Syrian al-Qaeda that carried out that attack using weapons, using chemical weapons they obtained from Turkey. So there are many questions, and we should. It's possible that the Syrian government did use chemical weapons. That's, sure, it's, sure. But we need highly evidence. Highly unlikely, though. And there's highly, no evidence. It's, a highly, it's highly unlikely. I mean, there's also the fact that the only people who benefit from this are... You have to also ask who benefits. And what, what the, the case is that you have an insurgency that is very weak right now, and it's losing very badly, especially since losing their base in East Aleppo. And you have the government that's winning. And they are desperate. And the only thing that can save this insurgency is outside intervention. And they've done this before. They've done things before to try and provoke outside intervention. And the point like the point is is, you know, at the very least like given everything both I and especially what Ben just said about the lack of even an investigation and in apportioning of blame um, uh, being taken by any actual internationally bo- international bodies that are legitimate, the fact that that hasn't been carried out yet suggests to me that at the very least people should be skeptical of the Pentagon's narrative. If there's anything that we should have learned over the past several decades of all of U.S. foreign policy, but especially in the Middle East in in the last like 15 years, is that you cannot trust the Pentagon narrative. You just cannot. You always have to question it until there is evidence. Because at the like, look at Iraq. Look at the WMDs and all the false intelligence um, that was used to try and you know connect Iraq to Al Qaeda to try and justify an invasion of Iraq. And look how many people died because of that and the destruction of the region because of that. And so for me to look around and see people who should know better be just like unquestioningly and unchallengingly uh, repeating the Pentagon's narrative even those who are saying they're against Trump bombing Syria they're repeating it too and I'm like you can like stop legitimizing what's being used as a pretext here like I don't think they understand that you need to question this use your brain like have some critical thinking skills but it's like I don't see that happening Right. So let me just jump in here. So, I mean, at the very least, so, right. So let's, let's say that we, we don't know, but I think that the real, the really disgusting thing that we've pointed out here is even, uh, being critical about the claims that are coming out of that region right now is sort of like, uh, slandered as conspiracy, conspiratorialism, right? So even just saying, Oh, maybe we shouldn't trust that video at face value. You're, you're immediately sort of uh, painted as this Assadist and, and conspiratorialist. I mean, I think being critical is one of the central tenets of, like, uh, engaged citizenship. There I am, like, jerking off Ruth Bader Ginsburg again. Um, <laughs> or, or, right, like, I mean, or of a free press, for God's sakes, you know? Come on, where where's the free press? Uh, I'm going to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance if you don't stop me. <laughs> but, but, I mean, so, and speaking of Ruth Bader Ginsburg lovers, uh, let's talk about the UN for a minute, because... <laughs> The, one of the fundamental tenets of the of, of the UN Charter is this this notion of multilateralism, and uh, the Bolivian ambassador to the UN Security Council spoke out brilliantly against uh, the UN the, the US's uh, unilateral attack uh, on uh, the Syrian airbase following the alleged gas attack, and so we can just say immediately. Of course, Russia said this. I mean, all of our. Uh, all of Russia's allies said this, but it's just objectively true. That was a that was a, a violation of international law, because the principle and of international law. 
and domestic law. Sure, absolutely. And so the, the central tenet of the UN Charter is uh, this sort of multilateralism, which means you have to bring grievances in front of the UN Security Council at minimum, and there has to be some kind of uh, 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 you know majority decision to, to take action on behalf of the quote-unquote free world, right? Because that's the point of the UN. The point is to sort of avoid chaos and have some kind of coordination at the diplomatic level. Um, so at the very least, we have been in just, you know, utter violation of international law with that attack. So let's, let's skip ahead a little bit. Um, let's talk about the who's and what's and where's and when's. Uh, how many missiles did we fire? Where did they hit? What was the, uh, what was the outcome, uh, Ben? And then maybe Ronnie, if you want to jump Yeah, in. so the U.S. fired 59 Tomahawk missiles that were actually made by Raytheon. Um, and this is a quick aside here. This is really interesting because... Uh, Trump actually owns a bit of stock in Raytheon, and Raytheon stock went up three percent right after the attack. So, uh, shit, Raytheon's off uh, headquarters is uh, just like four miles from my house. I should probably whisper. <laughs> yeah, but it's just one of those those interesting. Uh, you know, that's how great capitalism is. Not only did you know the U.S. just just launch more missiles against another country, but uh, the president probably actually profited off of it a bit. Their stock is up. I heard it, it now. Called, they cost about a million dollars to make these uh tomahawk missiles but now i think the the, the new version is uh like about a million and a half so they, of course they have to replace them so yeah and of course big bucks this you know it costs a lot of money so the, the air base is called shayadat and immediately after the u.s attacked this air base um destroying dozens of planes etc um isis launched an offensive near this is in the city of homs and uh isis launched an offensive there um and uh, this is actually not the first time that ISIS has taken advantage of U.S. attacks against the Syrian government. Um, in fact, just last year, in September, the U.S. for more than one hour repeatedly bombed uh, the Syrian army in Deir Azur, where, where they were fighting ISIS, and killed more than 100 uh, Syrian soldiers. And then immediately after the U.S. attacked, they said it was an accident, but it went on for more than an hour. Immediately after this happened, uh, ISIS took some strategic points around the airport in, in um, Deir Azur. So, um, wow. and, and essentially, whether or not it was winning, the U.S. acted as ISIS's air force for a second time. Sure, they provided air cover uh, for ISIS to, to go on an offensive. But if I can, I want to interject one point, though, because we were talking about conspiracies, and this is something I, I really, as, you know, as a leftist, I think it's very important to push back against conspiracy theories while recognizing that governments lie. I mean, that's mm -hmm. I.F. Stone. All governments lie. That doesn't mean that they're conspiracies. It just means that they lie. But conspiracies are fundamentally different. A conspiracy is saying the Ill Illuminati controls the world, the Rothschild Bank, all this stuff. Like, no, these are actually fundamentally reactionary. They're right wing. We should be like, look, Gulf of Tonkin was a lie. The Iraq War was a lie. That doesn't mean that they were elaborate, orchestrated conspiracies involving the Illuminati or whatever. Like, no, it's just that that governments act on their interest and truth is often not in their interest. So we should recognize that and analyze it politically. It doesn't mean, like, for instance, I think it's incredibly destructive and reactionary looking at the 9-11 truth movement, which absolutely not. No, Al-Qaeda attacked the U.S. It was not planned. There are some lies in there. There are some uh, controversies. Like, for instance, why were 15 of the 19 Saudi? What was the relationship of Saudi Arabia to these extremists who attacked 3,000 civilians? Like, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not it's not an elaborate conspiracy. There are just things that that are 
there are questions that governments, uh, you know, they ignore because they they reflect negatively on them. So, I mean, but it's just important to push back against that because conspiracy theorists are almost inevitably right wing. You look at Infowars, you look at all these people, and that is that is very corrosive to progressive politics. Well said. I think that's a really important point here because we are pointing to some sort of you know uh, discrepancies in narratives, and we don't want to sort of go down the wrong rabbit hole, as you as you mentioned. Um, so, Rania, tell us a little bit about what's happened there in the last uh, two or three days, and, and what the what, what the stakes are at this point, and, and sort of who who the players are. I mean, Ben like laid it out really well. Um, all I can add to that is that I don't think that what the U.S. did it will change anything significantly on the ground. Um, they tried to destroy an airbase and they actually kind of failed at it because the airbase was like almost a, was operational the next day. And if anything, I think it points in a way to the waning power of the U.S. I mean, think about it for a second. The U.S. spent the last six years trying to weaken the Syrian government and they, they, they kind of succeeded, but they mostly didn't because the Syrian government's still there. And their adversaries have been in power because of it, Russia and Iran, right? And the whole purpose of taking out Syria is also sort of a way to get to Iran, ultimately. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, that's not going to change anything significant. I don't think there's going to be further escalation from the Trump administration. And the reason I say that is because the U.S. has no leverage in Syria. They, in any scenario of them doing anything dramatic against the regime in Syria, will end in a in in some sort of confrontation with Russia. And I don't think the US is in a position to start a war with Russia. And they're definitely not in a position to start a war with Iraq because I'm sorry, with Iran because Iran, you know, maybe like you know, as much as the, this administration despises Iran and wants a war with Iran, Iran has power. Iran is in like has people in Iraq. Iran has people in Afghanistan. And if the US were to go at it with Iran for real, you would see U.S. soldiers dying in Af- in, in Afghanistan and especially Iraq um, at the hands of like um, militias that are allied with Iran. So that's I mean, it's in- interesting in a way the U.S. is sort of paralyzed on Syria policy because also on top of that, like we've talked about, I mean, the Syrian government, the Syrian army is the most well is, is the most organized force in Syria fighting ISIS in Al Qaeda. And those have become a priority getting especially ISIS has become a priority getting rid of them. Um, for the U.S. for the U.S. and so, if you take out the Syrian army, you by default are helping ISIS and Al Qaeda, because that's who's fighting them. So, yeah, I don't think that there's much the U.S. can do to really, like I said, significantly change the situation on the ground. Um, and I think if anything, this this act by Trump was just an attempt to sort of flex his muscles and show that he's like a strong man. But in the long run, it's not going to mean a single thing. What about? Uh, I'm, I'm hearing that there was an Arab League meeting. It's uh, yesterday, and uh, there were some commitments made, uh, both um, public and private, between some of the leaders and our diplomats. And particularly, Jordan is going to uh, ramp up its involvement. It sent troops across the border, apparently, to save some uh, element that was trapped and encircled. Uh, we may see the uh, escalation of uh, of Turkish troops in the region, in the north, and and others. Uh, you don't think it, there's a possibility, I mean, even if we don't send boots on the ground, per se, you don't think there's a possibility for us to um, escalate the proxy war going on there? Well, it's important to understand, just to, to preface this, that the U.S. has boots on the ground in Syria. It has hundreds of, mm-hmm. at least acknowledged, hundreds of uh, forces there, uh, not just soldiers, also special operations forces, and then also thousands in Iraq as well. 
And, uh, you know, as was mentioned earlier, um, although we shouldn't downplay um, how significant Trump's attack was on the Syrian government, which was unprecedented in, in the six-year war, we should also remember that the U.S. dropped more than 13,000 bombs on Syria just in 2016 alone in the campaign against ISIS, which has also led to the, you know, deaths of many civilians, etc. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think we should absolutely consider the possibility that this war isn't winding down in the next few months. I mean, it could actually in some ways be escalating. So, for instance, um, in 2016, just last year in August, Turkey militarily intervened in northern Syria without the consent of the Syrian government um, and began launching airstrikes ostensibly uh, aimed at ISIS. However, the majority of Turkey's attacks at first were uh, reserved for the Kurds. And um, this was actually put the U.S. in a very interesting position because... I mean, there have been reports on how the CIA and the Pentagon were actually supporting different forces in Syria that were fighting each other, namely the SDF in the north, the Kurdish-led forces fighting Islamist groups. Um, but now we also have Turkey, which militarily intervened and is fighting um, Kurdish forces that are also fighting ISIS. Some of the Kurdish forces are backed by the U.S. So the U.S. is in those regards on both sides and is helping Kurds in some ways while also helping Turkey kill them. Um, so the Kurds are put in a very precarious situation. I personally think that Turkey is going to refuse to uh, withdraw. I mean, if, 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 even if it does withdraw militarily, it's not going to withdraw politically and economically from northern Syria. Turkey's already building, um, you know, apartment buildings and, and such in northern Syria. Um, it looks like it's going to try to turn the area into a sphere of influence. Um, it could even, you know, in some kind of deal, be partitioned. And, of course, for many years, war hawks in the U.S. have called for Syria to be broken up uh, into little sectarian enclaves in the north, has been proposed to be a Kurdish region that maybe Turkey would have some influence over. And Turkey's been waging an incredibly brutal war against its own population in South Turkey, killing hundreds of people, displacing hundreds of thousands of people in Kurdish-majority villages, some of which it's raising to the ground. So, yeah, there is a potential for this to... Uh, the violence to continue to escalate, and we should not underestimate the role Turkey in particular is playing. Yeah, I agree about I agree about Turkey, but I, well, I agree about Turkey, but I also would say don't overestimate America's power in Syria because they oh, don't have very not. much. Is all I'm saying. Like I really think that this. Um, I mean, think about it for a second. You know that. Like all the the reason Trump just did that one off strike is because literally every other scenario would end in possibly killing Russians. That's I mean that the U.S.'s hands are somewhat tied, like it's a bit contained in Syria because of the involvement of Russia. And because unless the U.S. was crazy enough to start a war with Russia, that would be a different story. But I don't think the U.S. is in a position to do that at the moment. So in a way, um, in a way, like because of that, I just I don't see the situation. I don't see the U.S. government pursuing a strategy of trying to militarily take out the Syrian air defenses at this point. Well, and one quick point there on that note, um, I think one of the primary reasons that Trump carried out that airstrike is also it's a sign not just to Iran. And of course, the Trump administration has made it clear that Iran is in its targets. It's, you know, the Trump administration and, and sec especially Secretary of Defense Mattis um, speak of Iran as like the embodiment of all evil. They've 
floated conspiracies absurdly claiming that Shia majority Iran is supporting ISIS, even though Iran has been the primary force fighting ISIS. But it's not just that. That's part of it. But I also think it's it's a very clear indication by the U.S. that the U.S. is going to try to continue calling the shots in Syria. It's not going to allow Turkey, Russia, and Iran to make a peace deal together, which they have been trying to do. They've been meeting in Astana, Kazakhstan, holding peace talks for a few months now. And the U.S. has been furious at this because the U.S. was not invited to those peace talks. So I think the Trump administration is saying very clearly, no, we are the superpower and we play a big role in this and you're not going to ignore us. Right. So that was a central message there. I'm loving this conversation. I wish we could continue. I want to ask you about I want to talk about the YPG. I want to talk about, uh, you know, more about these other geopolitical forces that are going on. But I I have to say, I'm I'm loving this, but I think we're being a little bit too wonkish. Let's go in. We're going to go all in right now. Okay, you guys ready? (laughs) You guys ready to go hard? Suck down that monster energy drinks or coffee or whatever you got going. Um, I'm going to do push ups. Do some push ups. Snort a line of like fire ants, you know, off the sidewalk. (laughs) Because uh, it's time to go in. So, ah, how do I start this? So today and in, in yesterday, we saw a, a whole swath of statements coming out from political organizations uh, across the U.S., uh, most, many of whom we really love and admire and, and adore, which is why this is so gut-wrenching to talk about and infuriating in some senses. So I'm going to start with the good guys. Uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, friends of this show, certainly many of our listeners will either be members or very sympathetic uh, or in the, the, the outer circle per se. But they, uh, DSA recently put out a statement on U.S. action against Syria that has just has all of the marks of just bad analysis on this and i really we really want to get into this so i don't know what what do you think who wants to go first everyone is making me so mad (laughs) ranya is mad she's mad on the internet i'm mad on the internet and i'm not gonna stop until everyone agrees with me i am so sick like okay look i'm gonna be i'm gonna be straight with you guys go in go i have tried to be patient and tolerant of the fact that people just don't know what's happening in Syria. But at this point, there's really no excuse for being a self-described socialist, leftist, Marxist, whatever, and um, and, and, re- and really like repeating the talking points of the State Department. Will Rania pop a blood vessel and bleed out live on air? Will the brave heroes of the A-Team face down all of the bad Syria analysis? Is there going to be a kick-ass trailer for the next part of this episode? And that is the conclusion of part two of our three-part series this week. Tune in again in a couple of days. I'll be releasing part three, and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Rania, Ben, and myself, uh, we go all the way in in terms of criticizing some of the left-wing organizations and their approaches to the Syria conflict. I think you're going to learn a lot. Whether or not you agree with us, uh, whether or not you're offended, you're going to want to tune in. You're not going to want to miss it because, uh, you know, as I said in the first episode, Uh, My two guests have forgotten more about the Syria conflict than most of us will ever know. So agree or disagree, you've got to listen in. You're not going to want to miss it. Tune in again. We'll see you soon. Dead Pundit, out. Oh, this new crazy mother...